Well, we are currently in our Lenten sermon series and talking about the names of Jesus as we move closer to Holy Week and to Easter. And you may have picked up on it, you may not have. This morning, our, our focus is going to be on the Lamb of God. But before we get to that, I just want to go back just very quickly and talk about the names we've talked about thus far. And all of the names thus far that we've talked about for the names of Jesus have essentially evolved around the Christmas stories, believe it or not, during Lent. Uh, the first was Emmanuel, God with us, which really in many ways is a fulfillment of Isaiah 7, uh, which Matthew picks up on in his gospel, chapter 1, when he talks about that it's Emmanuel, God with us, who is being born to you. And then the next name we talked about is Jesus. And over and over again, Jesus who will save you from your sins. A prophecy several times in the Old Testament, but then made clear again in Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel. And so, again, this message loud and clear, the whole reason that God is coming to be amongst us, that Jesus came. It's what his name means. Jesus means Savior. Then we talked about Christ, anointed one. He was anointed for that purpose, the Messiah. And again, if you look at uh, Luke's gospel, you will see to, who is born this day a Savior, who is the Messiah. That name is used. You heard it again today. Uh, and it's the anointed one who was anointed for a purpose. And again, we talked about when we talked about the Messiah, this whole idea of anointing that Jesus was prophet, priest, and king. And he fulfilled all of those offices in his coming. We're going to touch on that briefly later. And finally, last week, we talked about Prince of Peace. That at his birth, we heard peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And Jesus came, Prince of Peace, the fulfillment of Isaiah 9, the prophecy made famous by Handel's Messiah. And we see all of these in the birth narratives. All of these allusions to Jesus and who he is and what his name means and why he came. But then we come to this phrase, Lamb of God. And we find it first in John's Gospel, the first chapter, at the very beginning. John doesn't have the birth narrative about Jesus like we find in Matthew's Gospel and like we have in Luke's Gospel, the wonderful Christmas stories that we tell. What we have in John's Gospel, right at the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Not much of a Christmas story. And the word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us. That's the birth narrative for John. But let me tell you what John is doing in the early verses of chapter 1. What John is doing is he's saying that Jesus, from the beginning, was God. In the beginning was the word. Again, God spoke and creation came into being. The Word was with God, the second person of the Trinity, and the Word was God. There you are right there. Jesus is God at the beginning, active in creation. And now this second person of the Trinity, active in creation, now is being born into creation. John 1.14, and the Word became flesh. The beginning of the Old Covenant the beginning of the New Covenant, the Old Testament, the New Testament. And then right away, John moves into the book of Exodus. 
John 1, verse 29. So he's moving from the book of Genesis into the book of Exodus. And John the Baptist announces, Behold the Lamb of God, which is the Passover Lamb. The Lamb of God, who's coming to release us from bondage, just like the Passover Lamb was used to release the people of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt. That is not by accident. I believe John was incredibly intentional about how he laid out his gospel to convey the message that we have the Old Covenant, we have the Old Testament, and God was intentional in his creation. And then there was the fall. And then he chose his people. They eventually got into bondage. He needed to release them from bondage. Now we've got the New Testament. God is once again intentional. He sent his son to release his people from bondage. And so we have this anointed one who came to be the Lamb of God. Now, when you think of a lamb, scripturally included, what do you think of? You typically think of maybe this little, cuddly, cute, little white critter, right? And you also think of maybe Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want that we are meant to be one of his sheep. Well, even Psalm 23 talks about being anointed. Uh, He will anoint my head with oil. Well, Jesus' anointing as the Lamb of God was specific. It was specific to be our Savior. Our anointing is different. It's to be the sheep that follows the Good Shepherd. But Jesus' anointing was to be the one who came to save us. And oh, by the way, I don't know how many of you have ever been around sheep much. But as much as Jesus was pure and he was the Lamb of God and he was innocent, most sheep are not that way. um, Some of you know Steve Abbott. He usually preaches here in October, November. He's from Australia. And when Meredith and I went on our sabbatical in 2010, we went down to Australia to visit Steve, and Steve took us to this place, and Steve said, you know what? You can shear a sheep here. So I did. It was really a cool experience, but they're not cute, and they're not soft, and they're not cuddly, and the wool was not clean and white and pure and pretty. And that's why we need a Savior. That's why God needed to send a Savior. Because we're not wonderful and pure and holy as Jesus was. He is the perfect offering, the Lamb. And it's interesting, when you jump to the end of the story, the book of Revelation, how many times you see, and you ought to just sit down and read it, how many times you see the term, the Lamb of God, in the book of Revelation? It's amazing how many times that term is there. Because once again, John the Gospel writer is also the one who wrote the book of Revelation. And it was revealed to him in a very symbolic, full of imagery manner about history and salvation and the second coming in heaven. It's a wonderful story. And I've had people say, you've got to preach or teach a series on Revelation. And my response is, No. I have preached a series on the seven letters to the seven churches, but everybody gets all caught up in and even bent out of shape over 
what exactly is going to happen and, you know, whether it's going to happen this way or that way. And they speculate. And they actually get angry over the speculation. When I believe most of the book of Revelation has already happened. (laughs) And that's why there's so many references to the Lamb. Revelation 1, Revelation 5, Revelation 7. Look at it. There's so many references to the Lamb. And the Lamb already ascended and in heaven. And it's wonderful imagery about the Lamb who was slain for our sin. And He is the one who is worthy. Because He was slain for our sin. That's the point. And so right away, this strange figure, John the Baptist, who says something even more strange, that unless you really catch it, you're not really catching the full impact. John the Baptist says, I didn't even know him. What does that mean? He was his cousin. He knew him. What he's saying is, I didn't really understand who he was until I saw the Holy Spirit descend on him. Then it dawned on me. And even when he said, behold, the Lamb of God, it still didn't fully dawn on him who he was. Because do you think he fully understood the impact of that term, the Lamb of God? He was coming to save the people from their sins. He knew he was the promised Messiah because the Holy Spirit came upon him. But he didn't fully understand the impact as to what that meant. Prophets often don't. When Isaiah prophesied everything he prophesied 700 years before Jesus was born, he didn't fully understand the impact of what he was saying. And John was the last of those type of prophets. But he said something powerful. So much so that Peter and Andrew and James and John would immediately follow. And they would come and see. And they would follow him. And they would say, We have found the Messiah, the anointed one. The anointed one to be what? The Lamb of God. And what do you say and we say every Sunday in the context of worship? Not only do we talk about the Lamb of God, but I say Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And you say, therefore, let us keep the feast. What? Are you talking about? What we're saying is this that we do every Sunday is symbolizing and dramatizing exactly who Jesus is and why Jesus came. Christ, our Passover. Our Passover lamb who came to be sacrificed for us. To take upon himself our sin. It harkens back to Exodus 12, the Passover lamb. The fact that Jesus was sacrificed, that he died on the cross during the time of Passover, in God's big scheme of things, was not by accident. Because it symbolizes this being sacrificed to get us out of bondage. The bondage of sin. That Jesus was anointed Messiah to be our Savior and to be our Passover lamb. There's also a talk during that time about the Day of Atonement. That Jesus is, as theologians talk about, our substitutionary atonement. He was substituted in our place for our sin as our Savior, taking upon himself the punishment we deserve and the atonement, which is a made-up word that means at one meant. 
That's what it means that we now have the opportunity to be at one with God because of his sacrifice. Because of our sin, we are separated. Because of him, we are at one with him. What a gift. And if you know about the Passover, the one that was killed instead, if people did not buy into the Passover, was the firstborn. The firstborn is the one that inherits. If you accept the Passover for yourself, you are as if the firstborn, and you inherit. What do you inherit? You inherit life and eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's what you inherit. That's the gift. And that's what it is, is a gift. And what did the Jews do? They marked their homes with blood. This, our bodies, our lives, are meant to be his home by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is meant to dwell in us and with us. Which is why he invited the apostles to be with him constantly. To dwell with him. Matthew 28, as Jesus was physically departing and ascending to the Father, he says, Lo, I am with you always. I will dwell with you. I will make my dwelling with you, Emmanuel, God, with us. There it is. He's present with us and for us. Because of the Passover lamb being sacrificed for us. The imagery is so powerful if you really understand the full impact. And Scripture says... It's wording that sometimes we're not comfortable with. It's found in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, but it's also in Leviticus. Without the shedding, shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. See, we're not comfortable with that today in the 21st century. The full impact kind of doesn't catch us because we didn't live with a sacrificial system like the Jews did. But this imagery for the Jews was a powerful image. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Once again, as I pointed out in Revelation, this image of the lamb that was slain, Revelation 1, 5, 7, repeatedly. And Jesus saying that he must lay down his life for us. He was clear. He said it over and over again. I must go to Jerusalem to die. He was clear. That his blood had to be shed. You know, it's interesting in our culture, we almost have kind of this push-pull, kind of this split personality when it comes to the shedding of blood. The whole image and idea of the shedding of blood and judgment bothers us. And yet at the same time, when there's heinous sin or crime in the culture, look at how bloodthirsty people are. I don't know how many of you saw some of the reaction to the guy who was the um, guy who gave the physicals for Michigan State and some of the Olympic women and how abusive he was and how many dozens of young women he abused and some of the reaction of some of the women and other people in the media, and parents, they wanted blood. Serial killers 
serial rapists, child abusers. People want blood. They want justice. They want judgment. See, what we sometimes minimize is that we are sinners before a holy God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need a Savior because we can't save ourselves. See, if we think we're above judgment, we're good enough, we won't understand the full impact of Jesus being our sacrifice, that his blood needed to be shed for us. Again, going back to the prophet Isaiah and Isaiah 53, that we will hear on Good Friday. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, and yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was our substitute. We needed him to take our place. So Jesus came and died. And a lot of people want to discount why he died and the purpose that he died. Yes, he was innocent. No question. He was that pure lamb. And he was good. And some people believe that's why he died. Because he was so good and innocent, people just misunderstood him. He was prophetic and he was revolutionary. Yes, he was those as well. And that's why he was crucified, because the, his age and the legalists of his age couldn't deal with him. He upset the religious system of his day. Yes, he did that too. But he was crucified because we need a Savior. That's why he fulfilled the prophecies. That's why he died for us, in our place, for our sin. And Paul makes the point in Romans that while we were helpless, while we were sinners, while we were even enemies, he died for us. And we receive the riches of his grace and forgiveness. What a blessing that is. Paul also writes, you were bought with a price. You were ransomed. You know, it's amazing how moved we are. When we see people, for example, at places like Las Vegas and Sandy Hook and the high school down in Florida, and people shielded other people and died in order to give life to those people. And how those people who were protected and others died for them in their place are forever changed. Forever changed. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. For all eternity. For every one of us, he took upon himself the sin of the world. He shielded us from the punishment, from the death that we deserved. 
And I wonder how seriously we take that. I guarantee you the people that were spared because a teacher or a friend or a spouse or someone that loved them, someone that didn't even know them, took a bullet for them, are forever changed. We'll never forget the gift given to them. I wonder if the gift given or offered through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice has had that kind of impact on us. That we're really forever changed. That we really understand the depth of love that he has for us. The incredible gift that he's given. And how desperately we need it. To change us for this life. To change us for the sake of others. And to change us for all eternity. And the cross is not the end. Because what Revelation talks about is not just the lamb who was slain. But the Lion of Judah. Let me read to you. From Revelation. Chapter 5. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered. There it is, that line. Having seven horns and seven eyes and the seven spirits of God sent out into all the world. In other words, this lamb is God, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He is everywhere, knows everything, and is all-powerful. Jesus is God. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell, fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and, a gold, and the golden bowls of full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God. You were ransomed for God. You were bought with a price. Saints from every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them a kingdom and priests, serving our God. Then I looked and I heard the voices of angels surrounding the throne with the living creatures and elders. They numbered myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with full voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. How can we not worship him? How can we not recognize the gift? That he gave his life for us on the cross. But he rose again to show that he has the power to transform us, to give us hope, to give us joy, to give us the ability to love and serve and be a blessing to others until we're with him in his glory. The firstborn that was spared to receive the inheritance. That's the Passover lamb. That's Jesus, the lamb of God. Let's pray.
Lord God, sometimes we take so lightly this gift that we've been given. We take it, we take him for granted. And yet he has shielded us by the cross and take, taken upon himself our sin, our punishment, our judgment, our death, so that we might have life, an eternal life, so that we might live with hope and peace and joy, the fruit of the Spirit. so that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit and take on His life of sacrifice and service for the sake of others. Lord, I pray this day that we might truly understand the gift that we've been given in our Passover Lamb, Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen.